Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Good. All right. So, kids, I'm going to start off with a bit of a game. I need one volunteer who's maybe a little bit older. All right. You ready to come up? Miss Kelly, come on up. That's you. All right. So we're going to play a game. Let's see if you're familiar with this game. Have you ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie? Okay, so for those who aren't familiar with two truths and a lie, I'm going to say three things. Two of them are absolutely true, and one of them I'm making up. And you have to try to decipher which one I'm making up. Are you ready to play? Okay, no help from the audience, maybe a little, but not from my son. He can't help. All right, so statement number one, I am a black belt in martial arts. I have a black belt in martial arts. Top of the line fighter. Okay? Number two. You ready for this? All right, number two. In college, I was in a band called Dakota Darling, and it was a lot of fun, and I played lead guitar. Number three. Do you know who Russell Wilson is? No. Okay, he's the quarterback for the Denver Broncos and an NC State legend. Okay? When Russell Wilson was at NC State, he and I competed in an athletic endeavor, and I absolutely destroyed him. It wasn't even close, and I made him look silly. Okay, do you need me to run through those three again? Okay, so she says that the third one is a lie. All right, so... Um, Raise your hand if you think the third one is a lie, that I competed against Russell Wilson when he was in college at NC State and absolutely destroyed him in an athletic endeavor. All right, so this is a good guess, and I wanted you to guess that. You can go ahead and have a seat. So everybody give her a round of applause. That's a good guess. Um, So Mary Martha, I am, in fact, a black belt. Yes, might be. There's some groans in the, in the crowd there, yes. Mary Martha, when Russell Wilson was in college, he came and visited a YMCA after school that I ran. And I was quite the baseball player when I was young. And he and I competed in a home run derby. And it was wiffle ball, but it was a wiffle ball home run derby. <laughs> which we all know is a very athletic thing. And Russell Wilson hit one home run. And I hit 27. I was not in a band called Dakota Darling. I wholly made that up. But good. Thank you for playing. Kids, we're going to be talking today about trust and distrust and how it's oriented around proper belief. And that your faith, as we read, uh, heard from that passage in Hebrews, is believing rightly about God, that it begins there. And so begin to contemplate that to trust God, we have to believe rightly about him. All right, so that's what we'll be talking about today. Adults, we're beginning an Advent sermon series, and I wanted to do a little bit of introduction as uh, we get into it. This is our first week. So we're actually going to be, over the course of the next few weeks of Advent, comparing Mary, the Virgin Mary, to Eve. Now, that might hit some ears as difficult, but I want to go ahead and tell you why uh, we've decided to do it and some things that I think we can glean from it. Um, There is clear typology in Scripture, so we all are very familiar with uh, the typology that we see in the Old Testament characters that become fulfilled in Christ. And there's all sorts of typology 
consistent Old Testament to New. And we see some patterns of that typology in the person of Eve and the person of Mary. And uh, we're going to be walking through several of those things over the course of Advent. Um, One of the things to keep in mind, just to give you a, a scriptural reason as to why you see that, is you heard in that passage, and often when Eve is referred to in the first uh, Genesis 2 and 3, she's not referred to as Eve, she's referred to as woman. You see that uh, in that passage in Luke of Mary being referred to also as woman. Um, we'll also touch in later weeks probably on the wedding at Cana. You'll see that Jesus refers to his mother as woman. We obviously know that Jesus isn't annoyed with his mother and angry at her, so he's not like, woman, sit down. That's obviously not what our Lord and Savior uh, would do and how he would treat his mother. So you see some things in typology, but more importantly for this sermon series, what we want you to see is that uh, there is a disposition towards the world, a disposition of proper, rightly oriented faith, that through that comes right obedience and comes life. And then if we veer off of that path, we see there is disobedience and death. And so as we are preparing our hearts this Advent season, sort of that mini Lent of being reminded of our, our need for Christ to return, our longing for that, um, that we would see a rightly oriented faith as we compare Mary and Eve. And I think that's sometimes difficult in Protestant circles because we instantly think of anytime we talk about Mary, we want to avoid being uh, Roman Catholic. And I just want to give some points as to why I want to alleviate that stress for you this morning. First, uh, many great Protestant uh, writers write often about the Virgin Mary. So you can think of John Calvin, Martin Luther, even John Wesley. Now, I want to quote uh, Mark Frank. Mark Frank was a 17th century uh, Anglican theologian was uh, a contributor to that 17th century Book of Common Prayer. Um, and Mark Frank wrote in 1660, Give her we in God's name the honor due her. God hath styled her blessed by the angel, by Elizabeth, and commanded all generations to call her so. So for us to say that Mary is most blessed is not Roman Catholic, but deeply uh, orthodox in our understanding of the Christian faith. And uh, Mark Frank tells us that's because the scriptures tell us to do so. The angel says to do so. Elizabeth says to do so. In, In Mary's Magnificat, she recognizes that she, by this gift of God, will be called blessed. He goes on to write, some of late have overdone it. So he's clearly here referring to maybe some uh, overreaches of Marian theology um, from the Roman Catholic Church. So he says, some of late have overdone it. But let us not, therefore, underdo it. But do as the angel and the first Christians did it. Account of her and speak of her as the most blessed among women. And so as we are walking through this sermon series, I think it's important for us to keep that in mind, that sure, we can have theological debates with our friends in the Roman Catholic community over Marian theology, and we can express that they've perhaps overdone it. But this exhortation to not underdo it, to not 
speak of Mary, to not recognize that the scriptures tell us that she is most blessed among women, uh, would be to not only devalue Mary, but also to devalue um, our Christian faith. And so some of that is because, you know, there is this uh, Greek term theotokos, which means mother of God. And we recognize Mary as the mother of God, not because she's higher than the Trinity and the mother of the Trinity, but we have proper Christology or an understanding of Christ. And we recognize that Jesus is God, right? To be Christian, we recognize he was fully man and fully God and that Mary was his mother. And there are obvious scriptural calls for us to recognize her as highly revered and blessed among all women. She bore the second person of the Trinity in her womb. And it's, it's a good thing for us to see her, to recognize her, but only to see through her that she's continually pointing past herself to God and to her son. And so ultimately, this sermon series isn't about Mary. It's about our relationship with God, our relationship with Christ, and we will see that pattern of behavior with Mary and Eve. So hopefully I've dispelled any concerns as I got up here and said the word Mary, and you're thinking, oh boy, this is going to get Roman Catholic real quick. We're not. We're going to, as Mark Frank said, do as the scriptures, as the angel, and as the early Christians did, to speak of her, to recognize her as most blessed among women, and to ultimately see that she is pointing us to a consistent life of faith, not in her, but in her son and in God So when we are talking this week, we're going to be talking about Eve's distrust and Mary's trust. And I think in those scripture passages, you see the the two reactions to not fully understanding an event. Okay, so we're, we're going to start with Eve. As Eve is talking to the serpent, we recognize in chapter three of Genesis that she doesn't have a full understanding of what exactly God has commanded, which is not surprising for even Eve in her pre-fallen state. There are mysteries of God that we as humans cannot fully understand, right? God is far beyond our ability to grasp it. The way St. Thomas Aquinas puts it is he says human reason cannot disprove any facet of the Christian faith. However, Human reason cannot prove every facet of the Christian faith. So I'll say that again. Human reason cannot disprove any doctrine of the Christian faith, but human reason can't prove all the doctrines of the Christian faith. And that's because God is far beyond our ability to comprehend. Aquinas also says most of the ways we describe God are in negative terms. And by that, I don't mean bad. By that, I mean we say he's eternal, which means not of time. Or he's infinite, which means not finite. But we don't have the ability to articulate in words what that positively is. And it's because God is, uh, is deeply mystery, a mystery to us. Okay? And so it's not that surprising that Eve doesn't have this full knowledge of everything and perfect understanding, even in her pre-fall state, because God is far greater than Eve and the creator of Eve. And so we can't give her too much of a hard time because we don't fully understand these things. But her misstep is in this. You might recognize in that chapter two, God commands them not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, lest they shall surely die. 
When Eve is interacting with the serpent, she adds something to that statement. And she says so very matter-of-factly, as though she knows. And that is where this distrust begins to ruin her, is in her assertion of knowing something of God that is far beyond her comprehension and adding to something that God has said. So we look at chapter 3. We recognize that she says, God has told us that we shall not eat of the fruit of the tree, nor shall we even touch it lest we surely die. Well, that's not what God says in chapter two. And it is through that wrong belief that the serpent is able to continue to push Eve away from a proper faith in God, which ultimately leads to the fall, is that she doesn't have a right assertion of proper belief. Now let's pivot that to Mary to see what it means to properly trust God. So an angel comes to a young woman and says, you shall conceive and bear a son. And he the angel is pointing to this is the Messiah. This is the the Christ that's coming. And and God is going to give you this gift. And Mary, we stopped. Actually, Eric walked over and said, you want me to stop here? Because it's on this question that's kind of a break in, in the passage. But it precisely points to a proper orientation of how we understand God and how we interact with God is in Mary's question, because obviously this angel is telling something to Mary that is far beyond Mary's ability to really understand, to truly grasp. And Mary's reaction to that is not to presume that she fully understands the mysteries of her faith. To not presume that God is either making it up or it's impossible or to presume she uh, he clearly can't mean her. But in this question, I think you can see a fair amount of Mary's proper orientation in her faith towards God, where she says, how can this be? I'm a virgin, which is a very reasonable question. How can I conceive a child if I'm a virgin? And I think we see. That Mary, in her belief, recognizes two things. She recognizes who God is, and she recognizes who she is. As we get into her, how her right belief leads to obedience and how Eve's wrong belief leads to disobedience in the coming weeks, we'll see here with Mary that Mary recognizes who God is and who she is. And I think that's the important part of that that Hebrews 11 passage, that faith is first rightly believing in God and that through faith and that gift of right belief, that gift that God gives us in faith, it then orients our our actions. It then orients our obedience. It leads us to it. It helps us fight against disobedience. But what is it that Mary believes? So first, what does Mary believe about God. Well, Mary believes that God is God. And that might sound like a nonsensical thing, but Mary's right orientation is, I might not understand it, but this angel is telling me what God is going to do. And he's God. He is the author of creation. He can do all things. And if he says he's going to do this, then he will do it. 
even if I don't fully understand it. When I was researching and reading on Mary, Eve, this passage, I was reminded of the passage in Mark where the man says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. And that was really, that seemed to be quite similar to this passage with Mary. That to have a right view of God is to say, there is a God, an author of creation, who has made all things, that rules over all things and reigns over all things, and he can do what he desires to do, what he wills to do. And that's the first aspect of belief, is that God is God. Secondly, Mary rightly gets who she is. And the most important thing for us to learn from Mary is that Mary recognizes that she is not God. There is a God, that's the first part, who is reigning and ruling over all things, the creator of all things, and the right belief of who Mary is begins with her not being God. She is not God, nor is she drawn to it. She doesn't fully understand what God's doing. She asks this very sweet and innocent question, how can this be? But in that, we don't read any uh, cynicism in Mary's response to God. She simply asks a question that is a bit reminiscent of, I believe, help my unbelief. And we know because as we get, we'll get into next week, that moves her to right action and obedience because she knows that there is a God and she's not God. And how does that compare to Eve? Well, Eve clearly knows there's a God. Eve walked in intimacy with God prior to the fall, knows that there's a God, and yet is drawn to that, well, what if there's a God And I'm that God. Ultimately, as we see the serpent continue in his temptation and manipulation of Eve, we recognize that what the serpent does is say, actually, the reason he doesn't want you to touch that is because he knows the day that you do eat of it, you'll be him. You'll be like God. And that is Eve's wrong belief. That she succumbs to that reality. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind. We are given that choice all the time. That we can look to how do we rightly orient our lives in trust and belief in God. The very beginning of that is recognizing that there is a triune God through whom all things were made. That reigns and rules over creation. That is working even in and through us now. And we're not God. Or you can, which I think we would recognize in large parts of our modern culture, get this wrong and presume ourselves to be God. So as we begin this Advent season trying to recognize that we can learn a lot about our faith by looking at the character of Mary and the character of Eve, it begins with right belief. What is it that we are orienting ourselves towards and understanding And ultimately, that there is a God. And what we'll be pointing to is that God came, took on the form of man to redeem all of us, to set us all free. But that question, that sweet question of Mary, points to a right orientation of her in her position in creation. That she is not the God of creation. So as we are preparing our hearts for this Advent season, let us continually try to follow that example of faith, that even when things don't make sense to us, 
We trust that there is a God who is sovereign and providential and ruling and reigning, who works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, to recognize that when things don't always make sense to us in our lives, God loves us and is working in and through us, even when it doesn't make sense, to recognize and to rest in and celebrate in the holy mysteries, to not fully understand and grasp what exactly God's doing, but trust that he is at work because he's the God of creation who has created you out of love and for your good. Let us rest in that this Advent season. And let us avoid that temptation to presume ourselves God as Eve did. Because that leads nowhere but to death. And as we long for life and life abundant, we should recognize that Christ came and to see that faith that Mary has in God that will lead to abundant life. Let's pray. Gracious God, I pray that you would be stirring in our hearts and in our minds, that you'd be rightly forming our faith, that we might trust you wholly and fully with our lives, with our very being, trusting that you love us, that you will our good. And even when things don't make sense, that we would trust in those holy mysteries, that we would rest in your person, that we would rest in who you are, trusting in your characteristics, trusting in your love for us, that it might lead us to abundant life. And we pray this through your son's name. Amen.